From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry, and today it's my honor to have as a special guest Father Colonel Eric Albertson, a chaplain in the United States Army. Welcome, Father Albertson. Glad to be with you. And for the benefit of our listener, Father Eric Albertson is a Catholic priest from the Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. The son of a career Army officer and family of seven children, he grew up in North Springfield, Virginia, graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School, and completed an undergraduate in business from West West Virginia University in 1981. That same year, he entered Mount St. Mary's seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. He was ordained in 1986 and served in two parish assignments before his bishop released him for active duty in the U.S. Army in 1993. And uh, Father Albertson, you have been uh, on active duty ever since, and I'd like to cut right to the chase. The theme of of our podcast, this edition of Catholic Military Life, is in harm's way, and we're focused on how you, Father Albertson, and the other uh, chaplains uh, go with the Catholics who serve in, uh, uh, whether it be uh, 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 into combat or uh, at their duty stations, wherever that may be. I'd like to ask you to take us back to November 11th, 2004. Um, what happened that day, Father? Well, interesting enough, it it was Veterans Day, and um, one of my responsibilities was to check up on our base camps that were surrounding our main base camp in Ramadi. We were in the Ambar province, and so we uh, I was pushing out to celebrate Mass for one of our units that was uh, at a location called Combat Outpost. They had been making a series of runs back and forth to Ramadi proper because uh, they had captured a lot of the enemy and were bringing them in for processing. So I joined one of the convoys that was pushing back out, and on our our way back out, we were ambushed. And um, it's amazing how fast some of these uh, insurgents were able to set uh, up these IEDs and so forth. But it was a combined attack. We hit, were hit with IEDs and um, uh, small arms fire, and um, there were like three big explosions. They missed all three, or the first two missed the vehicles, but then the third one, it, uh, it hit our vehicle, but not directly. And we found out later that the IED placement was in such a way that it, it was not as effective as it would be had they emplaced it properly. Just so and, we're all uh, on the same page, an IED is an improvised explosive device, a roadside bomb, right? Essentially a roadside bomb, right. And um, so uh, the blast went off, and um, uh, it had knocked me out. And um, uh, I found out that the, the vehicle had gone up completely up on its side and almost rolled, but then it, it came down and landed um, and in that instance, when it landed, I snapped out of the concussion, and uh, the vehicle was filled with dust, and I didn't quite know what was happening, whether we were going to careen out of control or whatever, but the driver managed to 
get control of the vehicle, and um, we pressed on into the uh, base camp. And, um, uh, you know, I, my hearing was uh, all messed up. And uh, But we, we got out of the vehicle, and um, uh, I kind of was shaking it off. And um, I, I wasn't alone. The other guys in the vehicle were having some hearing problems, too. And the... Uh, the shrapnel had tore out the wheels, so our, our vehicle wheels were blown out. But we, the Humvee, which is the vehicle we're driving, is designed to drive even with the tires blown out. And we got in and um, checked on all the guys. And um, I can still remember, you know, one of the fellows just did not want to get out of the vehicle. So I just, you know, talked to him a little bit, but more shouting, you know, and then I was realizing that I wasn't hearing very well. So um, linked up with the chaplain team that was there, and um, uh, we were going to the place where I was going to be staying, and then I was experiencing some uh, a delirium and uh, fell down a few times. I kept trying to, trying to figure out what was wrong, and then um, I threw up. And uh, then they were like, man, you probably need to go see the doc. So I got to see the doctor, and... Um, and did the eye test and a couple other things. He said, yep, you've been uh, suffered a concussion. And so they uh, basically wanted me to lie down for like 24 hours, and then they would do a checkup after that. And after about 24 hours, the uh, ringing in my ears subsided and my hearing had returned, although it was still kind of cloudy, uh, you know, kind of like feel like I stuck cotton in my ears or something like that. But it was coming back, so that was a, a good sign. And um, and the delirium had left me and so forth. And um, so did you take? Just, you know, take did, it easy. Did you, you know? take leave? Did you uh, go? Did you leave Iraq after that? No, you you um, from for the concussions. That was the standard treatment. They just you know have you rest and see if there's any problem within 24 hours. If not, they kind of give you what they call an RTD, return to duty. So um, they said, "Yep, you're fine to go about your duties." Just be mindful that this happened to you and there may be some complications down the road. So if, if you have any issues, let us know. And then I just went about my business and I was pretty much uh, fine after that. But it was definitely a close call. In fact, I still remember the first thing I did when I came out of the concussion was touch my legs, you know, make sure my legs were there because most of the guys, when they get hit like that, their legs get blown off. And, um, so anyway, it was um, it was a rough day. Uh, I I was the only one in the vehicle that suffered the severe concussion, but the impact was in the right rear of the vehicle, and that's where I was sitting. So that I don't know if it had something to do with it. We had a turret open, and they said you know the air can do weird things and concussions and affect people in different locations in the vehicle differently, but. Um, I'm just grateful that it wasn't anything more serious and I was able to press on. And how long before you were able to celebrate Mass again? Uh, they wanted me to rest for a good day. So, um, and I was a little spooked by the whole thing. So I, I just, you know, they got me to my quarters and I just I just stayed in, in the quarters for a day and rested up. That's all? One then day? I, yeah, then after that, I mean, they said I... I went in and they said, yeah, it looks like you're doing okay. And they, they 
said, you know, just carry on. So, so uh, you went right back to work? Yeah, and so, and, and I, I think I'd gotten out there and like on a Friday, so Mass wasn't for another day or so anyway. And a lot of these locations, I wouldn't just go for a short period of time. I would uh, often spend three to five days at a given location then move on to another location. And I was a brigade chaplain at the time, and this was one of my battalions. So um, it was proper to be out there to visit with the Unit Ministry team. And this particular place had uh, suffered significant casualties. So um, I wanted to spend a little bit more time out there because the chaplain team was pretty stressed out, and uh, as was the unit itself. So there was a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, combat stress and grief. So you're back on your feet in, in a couple of days. This was in... Yeah, really, within a couple of days, I'm back at it. And it it was, you know, um, I think that's just the nature of a concussion. You, you, know, you get banged and you just have to rest, lay still and let the body kind of readjust, I guess. So fast forward, you were later awarded the Purple Heart at Fort Belvoir. Tell me all about that. Well, um, the first sergeant had put me in for the award, and um, it just took a while to work its way through the system. And it finally you know, caught up with me a couple years later. So they um, presented it to me there. I didn't know it. They, the installation commander kind of ambushed me, and uh, at the end of Mass came up with uh, one of my congregation members, and they read the citation and presented it to me in front of the whole congregation there. So <laughs> apparently everybody was on to it but me. I'd received the decoration in the mail, and so I didn't think much of it. I was like, well, that's nice that they, they closed the loop on that. And um, so I just you know put it away, but my uh, Catholic coordinator uh, let the... Some other people know, and they wanted to present it to me. So it's kind of a touching moment. Brought back a lot of memories and so forth. But it, it was very moving that the leadership wanted to do that. Well, let me be the next to say thank you for your service, Father. Uh, it's uh, your your service is indispensable to the men and women who serve our nation in uniform and you're out there under the worst of circumstances with them and your story is a, a living example of that how our chaplains uh, go wherever the uh, men and women who serve go and your life is on the line just as theirs is only you don't have a you don't have a gun you're you're basically um, at the mercy of uh, the men and women you serve to protect you under those circumstances Yes, and th I mean, that's uh, a tradition in the chaplain corps, so we're non-combatants, but are, and they've changed the name, they, they used to be called chaplain assistants, now they call them religious affairs specialists, and so, but they're basically are enlisted, and they help us with not only the logistics of running the religious support program, but in combat in particular, they're our security. So um, these are brave young men and women that... Uh, carry for us, and they're not only protecting themselves, they're particularly vigilant in protecting us. But what's wonderful is everybody knows that we're unarmed. So the the whole unit, and by way of extension beyond just the religious affairs specialists, 
they love taking care of their chaplains. They know we're vulnerable. And I can still remember, you know, more than one occasion getting in the vehicle and, you know, the gunner would, you know, chamber the 50 cal and then look down at me and say, don't you worry about a thing, Father. We get into a scruff. We got it. You just sit tight and let us take care of business. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they they knew we were vulnerable. They knew we were in the vehicle with them. And, um, and they were more than honored to be part of the security that would be provided in case we did run into uh, any type of uh, enemy activity. And I should mention you're talking to us by phone from CENTCOM in Tampa, Florida. That's your current assignment. The U.S. military divides the world up into regions, geographic regions, and then there's a commander for each one of those regions. So we're just uh, uh, the central command region, which is... uh, uh, all that, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, um, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, all all of the uh, uh, regions surrounding that area. And so... The hot spots. It's the hot spots. It's the smallest geographic command, but it's the most kinetic. So we've had a lot of activity really since the, these wars have been initiated. And uh, so that makes Central Command a very fascinating place to work at. Um, we're certainly at the tip of the spear of a lot of stuff that's on the news every day. And um, I feel very privileged to be a part of this leadership team here and staff that uh, are really working to bring security and stability to that region of the world. And, and although you know, you'll hear different critiques and so forth on the news, I mean, I'm privileged to sit in on classified briefings, and I can tell you, I mean, the professionalism and the quality of the individuals carrying on these missions after all these years has never let up. I mean, we have wonderfully smart people and excellent warriors at the tip of the spear of American foreign policy bringing about um, what's necessary to you know, bring the fight to the enemy. And, and if anything... Again, without violating any security, one big consequence of this is that we have become very good at, at what we do. And I would venture to say that the United States of America is the best counterinsurgency force the world has ever seen. We're, we're no longer just sitting around. We um, uh, are not merely the, the victims of an enemy that had freedom of movement. Um, we are really good at finding the enemy and exploiting um, our skill set to get them to surrender or, if, if necessary, to remove them from the battlefield. So it's it's amazing to, to see all of this in action. And really you, a lot of talent. You've been a chaplain in the military for over 25 years now. That's correct. Yeah, 26 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Any thought given to retirement? Well, interesting that you should ask that question. I um, recently, uh, this past summer, I met with my home bishop of Arlington, Virginia, and said that, you know, the Army is asking me if, if it's possible, could I stay in longer? Because my mandatory re- retirement date is uh, a year from this June 2021. And uh, my bishop just granted permission, and that letter went to the Archbishop for the Military Services, Archbishop Roglio. 
and I'm confident that uh, Archbishop Roglio will uh, support um, my bishop's release to stay in the Army for an additional three years. So I retire at uh, age 65 from the Army and uh, after 31 years of service. So well, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that, you know, and I was able to point out the, the tremendous shortage, and I think that is what led to my home bishop's decision to support the request. When I came in, we had close to 240, 250 priests on active duty for the Army, and as of this summer, I actually heard just recently it'll be 75. I thought it was going to be 80, but we're, we're that short. So uh, the, this requires a Secretary of the Army waiver, but the Chief of Chaplains has said that he's granting them for the sole purpose of realizing the shortage, the critical shortage of Catholic priests. So ideally, I'll get to stay in a little bit longer and continue to serve the force in this capacity. Well, the Army needs you, as you well point out. Uh, can you share any anecdotal information with us about how the shortage has affected the practice of the Catholic faith in the Army? Well, um, it's had a couple of uh, effects. Now, granted, in, in many installations, uh, people can find a local church, so that's helpful. But in some of the forward areas, uh, in fact, we were just looking at an overview this morning. Um, I mean, we're short again, and it uh, just means that the people that are in harm's way the most uh, typically have the least uh, coverage. And uh, so it, I think that's the biggest fallout. We just don't have enough priests to help cover down on all of these various locations. And, um, and part of the challenge is that the, the priest has to, I mean, we, we come into the Army not just as a priest. We're also a staff officer assigned to a specific unit. And we have kind of what we might call universal chaplain or coverage responsibilities. So, um, you know, I'm responsible for the pastoral care of my whole unit, not just the Catholic soldiers on a given installation. And um, so the, the Catholic chaplain, and, and frankly, Jewish chaplains and even Muslim chaplains have a similar challenge that, you know, you want to do your area coverage, but you don't want to sacrifice your unit coverage too much so that, you know, you, your commander can give you a robust evaluation. So you, we have a, a balance we have to strike. So, um, and that can interfere with a chaplain's availability to do some of these extended uh, deployments. But just the same, we, we've, we've managed to do pretty good. But um, with the shortage, that's usually where it, it uh, hits the most. And then I would add to that, most of uh, the meat and potatoes, cutting your teeth, pastoral work is at the lower level. Our captains and majors, um, they, they are the ones that are helping our brand new troops as they are adjusting to serving their country and being in the military. And many of these young people are at a very pivotal time in their life. So the presence of a, a priest can be helpful in them making wise choices as to how to conduct themselves and really what kind of soldier they want to be and what their future is going to look like. Because we all know there's a lot of distraction and temptation out there 
So the presence of the chaplain goes far beyond just merely the celebration of the sacraments and um, the pastoral care. It, it goes deep into the unit and exceeds far beyond just the Catholic troops, but everybody that's you know new to the force and, and can be potentially swayed one way or the other. So to me, that's one of the exciting parts about being a chaplain, and even more so as a priest, is you're able to reach these people at this very pivotal time. And different from the parish, you're in their work environment. You work with them. You, you see them at the motor pool or in the training areas, or if there's going to be a field training exercise, which we call an FTX, you, you're out there with them for extended days on end. So you really get to know your troops, and you get to spend a lot of time with them, and that rapport helps to aid them in, in your being approached by them should they have problems or difficulties. But then also it, it's the witness value that helps them to understand you know, the importance of the decisions that they're going to make during this time of their life. So, uh, you know, no, granted, the military is a, you know, morals-based, values-based environment, but, um, uh, and that helps. That truly does help, and that's part of the means by which these individuals are evaluated. But, you know, I think we're, there's also a humble acknowledgement that there can be a seedier side to, um, military posts, if you just step outside, you'd be kind of scandalized sometimes at the volume of strip clubs and bars, and and sometimes these troops do get into some very scandalous trouble. But uh, hopefully the influence of the chaplain helps to steer them away from some of the mistakes that they can make and keeps them kind of on the straight and narrow, not only for their own personal salvation, but also for their survivability in the military, which does not um, treat moral or values violations uh, very kindly. And part of the witness that you give is being out there on the front lines with your men and women. Yes, and then that that I've been very privileged. I got I ended up doing uh, four combat deployments, so two in Iraq and two in Afghanistan. Um, two were 12 months, two were 13 months. And then here at Central Command, I've been able to go forward quite a bit. So my focus is I have to do what they call battlefield circulation. I need to touch base with the Ford Task Force chaplains. And um, so I'll bring my religious affairs specialist with me, and we will make our rounds through Afghanistan and Iraq. And I have a deputy command chaplain, and he'll take the lower region. So he'll do Bahrain, uh, Kuwait. We both double tap on Qatar. And uh, he did Saudi Arabia last year as well, and uh, Jordan. And what I've, um, but I, I, so I focus on trying to do my battlefield circulation during the uh, high seasons of the year, so Christmas and Easter. Now, our Christmas mission got shut down this year because the uh, situation in Iraq was heating up. So, um, uh, the leadership thought it might be better to stand down at this point in time. and then, um, But I'm slotted to go forward again uh, to Afghanistan for uh, Holy Week and Easter, and I very much look forward to that. And that's afforded me an opportunity to be forward with the troops again. And really tying in with your, your theme today, um, probably where the rubber meets the road for the chaplain is their willingness 
to step into harm's way. Now, I got a dose of this right from the very beginning because I started out in the 82nd Airborne Division, and we have to jump all the time. So when we would do our airborne ops, the uh, the soldiers looked to the chaplain, you know, is chaplain going to jump with us? And, of course, we always do. And um, that is uh, kind of a, a neat and fun part of the mission, although sometimes it's quite physically demanding. But but it's uh, it, it's neat to be with the troops as we do these uh, airborne operations. And then later on, as you're there long enough, they want you to go to the jump master school so you learn how to inspect the troopers before they get into the aircraft and so forth. And then you you conduct the actual operation in the air, which is even more exciting. But uh, they look for you to be a leader and confident and willing to share the risk because it, it's sad. It doesn't happen very often, but, you know, maybe once or twice a year, I mean, there's risk associated with these, this training, and we may lose someone. And so we all know that there's a, a very tiny risk every time we exit the aircraft that something could go wrong and we could be killed. So you, I learned to, sh to be willing to share that risk early on. And then when the chaplain is in combat, and tragically I, I have experienced this, you know, you have to be willing to, as they say, leave the wire. What that expression means is the compound is surrounded by a wire and there's a security measures and so forth. And, uh, but when you're, it's, it's more secure inside the wire and sometimes we, we have to go outside the wire and in order to get to these various locations. And that that was, you know, that's when we got hit on that ambush. Uh, there, there was another time when we got hit, but it was a very minor IED, and it, it hit the Bradley that I was in, but it didn't, just some shrapnel impacted, but we kept pressing on. But uh, um, the idea behind it was that, you know, you you have to be willing to take the risk that the soldiers do. Now, as chaplains, we don't take all the risks that we do. We're not kicking down doors and pushing into houses and stuff like that. But but there's some risk associated in the battlefield. And um, if, a, if a chaplain's reluctant to go out and see his troops outside the wire, the troops pick up on that, and uh, the chaplain's reputation is shot. But where the chaplains are willing to take that risk, um, and be out with the troops, then uh, the opposite occurs. You're, you're well-received, you're considered part of the band of brothers, so to speak, and they're always uh, delighted and happy to see you. And, and as we know, we've had a couple of chaplains killed in action um, doing this. Uh, one of our own, Father Tim Backhoff, was uh, badly wounded and eventually succumbed to his wounds. And uh, there was another chaplain I believe with 4th ID, Chaplain Dale Getz, and uh, he was killed in action by another roadside bomb uh, in his effort to get out to be with his troops. So uh, we've had a, a handful of guys wounded, and it, it just was their willingness to take that risk and be exposed. And uh, frankly, when I was doing recruiting, I would kind of probe to see where guys were with this, and if an individual was too timid and did not think that they could be exposed to that type of risk, I really kind of helped them realize they weren't called to the chaplaincy because it's such a critically inherent part 
to being effective in this ministerial environment. If, if you're not willing to take that risk, you're not going to be valuable to the force. If you are, I would go so far as to say you're absolutely invaluable and a critical part to what's going on. Not to mention the fact a number of times when I was out at these locations, casualties came in. So, you know, now you're in the aid station uh, anointing people and providing pastoral care, and in some cases, actually helping the medics bandage guys up. That happened uh, several times when, uh, you know, they just didn't have enough hands to help patch these guys up. The uh, aid station was completely overwhelmed, and so they're having me do bandaging as well. And, uh, wow, that was pretty dramatic stuff. Father Colonel Eric Albertson of the United States Army, a Purple Heart recipient, and uh, talking to me today uh, about uh, how part of the chaplain's role is to go out in harm's way with the men and women uh, under his pastoral care. Father Albertson, first of all, thank you again for your service, and thank you for talking to me today. Oh, it's my pleasure.